0: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. We're going to get into some news updates quickly in the open, and then we'll get right into your questions. We have a lot of them in the mailbag today. We're excited to get there. As always, a reminder to go find the podcast on the Himalaya Podcast app, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcast listening avenue of choice is. And a friendly reminder that this show today is brought to you by Five Star Painting. Joe, a few news stories to touch on that we haven't really gotten into the last couple days because we've had guests on. The first of which is another Lou Anarumo signing, another quarterback, Tony Lippett.
2: Yeah, and Tony Lippett, um, he was a former wide receiver at Michigan State. I remember liking him him in the draft. He's a fifth round pick of the Miami Dolphins. I remember his first start. Do you remember? I think it was a Thursday night game versus the Bengals, and A.J. Green had a monster day. Uh, He came a long way since then. He ended up having four interceptions just three years ago, and I actually went back and looked to see the last time the Bengals have had four interceptions or more from a cornerback, and it was the tandem of Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph in 2009. So it's no surprise that he has ball skills as a former receiver. He's He's long. He's lanky. He's a little bit tight. Um, not as physical as you'd like. And when he went and followed Lou Anarumo to the Giants, he did not find the same success he he did with the Dolphins. So uh, that's why he was still out there today in late July, and the Bengals scooped him up.
0: In his defense, he was also coming off of a pretty serious injury. I feel like he had an Achilles. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was an Achilles injury. But he played with Lou Anarumo both in Miami and in New York, and now he joins BW Web as another ex-New York Giant cornerback in Cincinnati. And if he can rediscover... His pre-injured form, he's a solid player to have in your secondary. And that's obviously a gigantic question mark because he hasn't played to that level since 2016 before the injury.
2: Yeah, and it was uh, a Kavari Russell injury that may have sparked this while it's listed as undisclosed uh, it sounded like he was taking the number four cornerback reps currently with Darquez Denard on the rehab field. So when Kafari Russell went down, they felt the need they, to get someone, uh, a veteran on this team. And that's where Tony Lippett comes in. Releasing, obviously, to make room for him. Chris Worley, linebacker, those should be a second year out of Ohio State.
0: That's right. And we talked about him just recently in the countdown to kickoff, which we are woefully behind on. We'll probably catch up on that tomorrow or later
2: this week. Yeah, hopefully. we we got to be in the 30s now, right? Uh, high life. 30s, that's right, yeah. But there is football today. If we we're doing count on the kickoff, there's some team today that's uh, kicking off. What is it, Broncos and... Do you know who's, who's playing tonight? I know it's Broncos. Chiefs. Broncos, Chiefs. No, it can't be no, a division Falcons. game. Okay, Broncos, Falcons. Yeah. We care about either of those teams, or are you going to watch it?
0: I don't usually watch the Hall of Fame game.
2: It's cheesy, right? Because, I mean, I feel like you may get a a one drive from the starters and then they just run out the the backups as soon as possible. And they just, like, try to kind of get out of the
0: game. Because, like, like I I know the guys are still playing hard, but it's like we've practiced for a week.
2: (laughs) The Bengals played in this game a
0: few years ago, right? Cowboys. Yeah.
2: Michael Johnson had a uh, monster game playing, like, an outside linebacker role.
0: So a couple other pieces of news there. We're not going to get too far into the Hall of Fame game today. If you are interested in it, though, go check out the Lockdown Bengals timeline on Twitter. We retweeted a crossover episode between the Falcons and the Broncos Lockdown Podcast, and they've got your coverage there. Uh, The other notes to talk about are the Bengals, according to Bengals.com, are leaving the door open for Jonah Williams' return in 2019. This is something that I speculated about a little bit. You might remember when they first reported the injury of the Torin Labrum, and we looked at some of the similar injuries in offensive linemen in the recovery timetables, and it was like four to five months, which yeah. from July puts us you know, right in that December time frame. So it doesn't sound like it's very expected, but it is a possibility.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and I remember what we talked about it originally when we looked at that, and we both came to the conclusion of, well, you're going to go out there basically with one arm being severely weakened. You know, how, what kind of uh, practice time or actual reps would it would would you actually quality reps would you get? But on the other hand, they may need him, or any reps may be good reps at that point if it's a lost season.
0: Yeah, it depends on where the Bengals are in their season and how he recovers. If he recovers well and he gets to sure. lifting and strengthening the shoulder more quickly than maybe expected, then then great. Then he can go out there. But it's not something that's expected, again, to reiterate, but it sounds like they're going to try to keep him. They're, they're going to IR him after the cut to 53.
2: So that he'll be eligible for return, yeah, one of two guys. It seems
0: like that's the plan.
2: I wish I, they'd open that up to even more players, maybe four guys. If they're going to extend the season, I bet they'll have to. Yeah.
0: Uh, the last notes I'll talk about here, this is something that Cincy Jungle highlighted. Ken Anderson and Ken Riley are among the most worthy, according to Doug Ferrar of the USA Today, senior candidates for the Hall of Fame, and they both might have a chance. With the potential for the Hall of Fame to expand to 20 inductees in the 100th year, that's something that the NFL is apparently deciding on, or the Football Hall of Fame, I should say, is going to decide on in, in the next couple of days.
2: That's their best chance to do it. If it's going to happen, it'll happen that year.
0: And, yeah, if it's 20 more guys, right? Ken Anderson for sure.
2: And Ken that'd Riley be, probably. That'd have to be a whole weekend of, an, of induction ceremonies, right? I, I honestly don't. No. I don't know how they do to do it. Be. You have to do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That would be wild. It wouldn't make, be. It a, make it a whole NFL draft event. Exactly. The
0: NFL Hall of Fame weekend induction. And then when they make a bunch of money from people watching it and the ad revenue and three Hall of Fame games for each of the days, they'll be like, you know what? We should do this every season.
2: Great. Yeah. Let's not do that.
0: Well, it's possible. Uh, yeah, sure. I agree with you. Uh, Let's take a quick break, Joe, and then get into the questions. What do you say? Let's do it. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Five Star Painting, a neighborly company. Five Star Painting is looking for new owners to join their growing company. Could this be the perfect opportunity for you? Are you driven? Do you have the heartbeat of an entrepreneur? If you're interested in running your own business, text five star to eight seven zero 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 right now to learn more. Choosing to start your business with five-star painting means setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with the best in the business and the best at business. With five-star painting, you'll be your own boss, pick your own territory, set your own hours, and live a better quality of life running a business that you can be proud of. You'll have access to the best resources to help you scale your landscape business to meet your personal and professional goals, and you will go home every day with the satisfaction of helping your customers enhance and maintain the beauty of their homes. As a five-star painting owner, you'll be part of the greater Neighborly community of home service brands. Neighborly has empowered more than 3,700 entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams and goals through local business ownership. No one knows the home service industry better than Neighborly. Every year, nearly 1 million customers are proudly served by one of Neighborly's 22 award-winning brands, some of which include Mosquito Joe, Molly Maid, Glass Doctor, and Mr. Reuter. Joe and I run our own business to some degree here on the Locked On Bengals Podcast, and we set all of our own hours, we make all of our own rules, and we have a lot of fun doing it. On top of that, I worked for myself when I lived in Seattle, and I gotta say, reporting to just myself was some of the most enjoyable work experience of my life. Whether you've been thinking about starting your own business or you're already running your own painting company, text five star to eight seven zero 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 to learn more about how a five-star painting franchise can help you get where you want to go faster than going it alone. Again, text F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R to eight seven zero 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 to learn more about the neighborly brands that may be available in your area. And we're thankful for them sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast.
1: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
2: And welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. Jake and Joe here. We're taking your mailbag questions. We'll dive right in. The first one up today is Ken Boris. I think that's right. He asks, does Damian Willis... Have a chance to make the roster? And what do we do with green, IR, or active roster?
0: And that's at, Ke- at Voriz or Voriz Ken is the thing. I think this is his first question to the mailbag. So yeah, thanks for the question, it. Ken. I think we have a few first-timers today. Damian Millis absolutely has a chance to make the roster based on what we're hearing out of camp thus far. It sounds like he was still good with the pads on. It sounds like there may be some conditioning questions. You've heard Zach Taylor talk a few times about these young guys needing to get used to the extended and uh, intensity of the NFL practice compared to whatever they were used to in college and talked about, I think Willis in specific cramping up that first Mm -hmm. day that he started to flash. So does he have a chance to make the roster? Well, he's rotating in with the ones Cody core. I don't think is a sure thing, although I think he's a pretty good bet. sounds like Josh Malone's getting every chance, but it sounds like there's some true open competition at the wide receiver position. And that's because of the second part of your question. AJ green is hurt. John Ross is hurt. It's giving them a chance to see all these guys on the roster a little bit more than they might usually. I think the green ends up on the active roster, and if he doesn't, that means he's missing, what, at least 10 weeks?
2: Yeah, eight weeks, right? It's in that range at least. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I would add to Willis, he's 6'3", 200 pounds, and when we use playerprofiler.com to look at a lot of draft prospects, especially at receiver, his production in college puts him in the 84th percentile. Uh, his breakout age, 21, puts him in the 33rd percentile, and his spark, which is basically his athleticism, is in the 18th percentile. So, uh, don't be surprised if he doesn't, if he's not able to carry this. If you put on his highlights or look at anything real quick, a lot of above the rim type playing, body catches. I mean, in in, in good way, boxing guys out and going up and making tough uh, catches. It's interesting. The comparable comparable that comes up right here is also a training camp star for the Bengals and for the Packers, Jake Kumaro.
0: Kumaro has made the Packers the last couple of years. Our next question comes from Alex Smith at It's Alec with some Zs or Zs, that's a Canadian thing, and ones in there. Are you missing Vontez Burfecht's leadership abilities at this point with such a weak linebacking core? If he stayed healthy, he was a force and definitely could feel his presence when he was playing.
2: I'm not missing it because he couldn't stay healthy and he couldn't stay on the field. And when he was playing, especially last year, he was going rogue and doing whatever he wanted. In fact, his leadership was a negative. It negatively impacted the defense. So, no, I don't miss him at all. What I miss is like
0: 2015 Vontez Perfect minus the playoff incident. So in that sense, yeah, I miss Vontez Perfect, but I don't miss 2018 Vontez Perfect or even 2017 Vontez Perfect.
2: Right. Might as well say I miss 2015 Jeremy Hill. In 2015, Andy Dalton. Right. I miss all those guys. Next question is from RJ Ballou at RJ underscore 2121. If you could add an above average starter to any position group, not quarterback, what group would it be? Give me your best for the team choice and your personal choice. Could be because you just dislike a guy or can't believe a guy is even projected to start.
0: So the position group is for me, easily tackle. And you might say maybe a corner would be great to add, but I think they're okay there. Maybe a linebacker is obviously a position of weakness, but if I'm talking about adding an above-average starter, I'm talking about adding a guy like Brian Beluga tackle or even, you know, Laramie Tunzel or DeMarc Dotson. Any of those guys could slide right in a tackle and, and improve the situation at right tackle dramatically. Charles Leno Jr. from, from Chicago. Taylor one. Any of these guys that are in the above average to good range, slide them in at right tackle. I think it makes a huge impact.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't touch linebacker. For me, it'd be offensive line. I think it's the biggest issue on the team and easily, again, the biggest opportunity to derail the season. Yeah, you have to think
0: about positional value there, I think, quite a bit. And... Yeah, tackle blows it out of the water. Speaking of tackle, our next question comes from Jack Dammit at Jaybird five, five, five. Any chance the Bengals are in it for Trent Williams? I think this has been a common question.
2: And I'm going to say no. It's got to be such a slim chance. I bet the I bet the team doesn't even realize he's on the trading block. Somebody asked Paul Denner Jr.
0: This question today in his mailbag over at the Athletic. And Paul said he hasn't been able to get an answer when he's asked people within the organization, are you prepared to give up what it would take to get a player like Trent Williams? Not even, are you in on Trent Williams specifically? It's like, there's a question of, are they willing to part with the draft capital or whatever it would take to actually make the trade happen for us? I think it's a a bit of a no brainer. Like, yeah, sure. What does Washington want in return? If it's a second round pick and a running back. Okay. (laughs) You know, they need a running back according to people on the internet. So I wish the Bengals were in it, but I don't think they are.
2: Yeah, I just it's it's not like them, but at the same time, um, it makes sense, I guess, from from certain perspectives. There's also the question of
0: if he's healthy. I think even if he needed a year to get healthy, the move makes sense for the future. Coupling him with Jonah Williams, Uh, those are your tackles for the next three to four years. You feel pretty good about that.
2: Yeah. Trent Williams has been so good for so long that he should continue the trajectory of at least being an an above-average tackle even late in his career. As with
0: Cordy Glenn, injury questions abound. Regardless, it's a pretty far-out-there scenario for the Bengals. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back for the rest of your questions. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: And we're back for segment three of the weekend mailbag with the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Jake, what's our next question? We're going to have a lot of questions
0: in this third segment, just so that the listeners are aware this is going to be the longest segment today. But the first question for this segment is from Aaron Parker at Membangle, a frequent question asker. Do you believe the Rams-style system being put into place by Taylor and Callahan gives the team a better chance at covering for Green's absence than was the case under previous offensive regimes?
2: No doubt about it. In fact, uh, I I believe the Bengals before had an issue where they expected their guys to go out there and win with talent and ability, and they didn't always scheme guys open. Now, I think Bill Lazor did some of it, and actually should get a little bit of credit for scheming guys open at, at certain times last year. Too often they would just say to A.J. Green, hey, line up out wide, isolated by yourself, and go win on this comeback route because you're A.J. Green. But too often we saw that just doesn't work in today's NFL. You've got to scheme even your best guys open. And I think the Rams do that. We talked a few months ago, I think, when we first brought up the separation difference between the the, the top trio for the Rams, yards of separation at the catch point versus the Bengals. And each of one of them was about a full yard ahead. And I wouldn't say they're more talented guys. I think that's part of the scheme, especially when I got done watching the film. So I do think they're more equipped now to handle a major injury like that than they were under the Marvin Lewis era.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you there. The scheme should help. But if they're going out there in 12 personnel with Cody Core and Josh Malone as one and two, I I don't think that any amount of scheme we'll cover for A.J. Green and John Ross being out if it's those two guys and two tight ends.
2: Right, yeah. That, right, you lose talent, it's going to affect you. So how much is it going to affect them, I guess, is the question. And that's up to coaches. And on to our next question from Dusty Balls, wait, Dusty, welcome back to the show. What would you guys set the over, under on rush yards and receiving yards for Joe Mixon this year? I'd say for rushing yards, it's got to be somewhere between
0: like ten fifty and 1100, just because there is a bit of an injury risk there. And I, that's roughly where he was last year. And if the offense is really bad, it might be tough for him again. And last year he had a, just under 300 receiving yards. It sounds like there's a plan for a little bit more use for mixing in that area, but he did get 54 targets last year and had 43 catches. I don't see that going up necessarily a ton, so maybe it inches up and I would put it somewhere around 370 to 400 for
2: receiving yards. Yeah, because his average is way down. It went from 9.6 to 6.9 in year two, so I think he's definitely got room to get back to that 8.5 range, which is, which is normal. Uh, so yeah, I think 350 should probably be the over-under. Maybe if you want to say 375 or 370 uh, would be reasonable to try and get bets on both sides of that. I think for rush yards, though, I would go a little higher. I would say at least 1150 should be the over-under. And I think a lot of people would take the over. I think it's uh, – you're, you're probably right.
0: There are some questions about durability for him for me, though. Yeah. He hasn't been healthy for – or played a 16-game season yet.
2: Right. Uh, 14 games both of the last two years.
0: Right. And and he's productive, and he will get out there and, and produce the rushing yards. I guess he did have 1171 last year. That's more than I thought it was. So, yeah, I agree with you. It needs to be adjusted up, probably closer to 1200.
2: Yeah, I could see if it was even 1200, I bet people would straddle that line of wondering if it's if they take the over or under.
0: The thing with running backs is it's always a health question. If, if Mixon goes out there and doesn't have an ankle surgery in the middle of the season, and plays sixteen games, he should get over twelve hundred pretty easily, even at last year's pace.
2: Oh yeah, last year was a really good year though. Four point nine with a bad O line. There's a chance he doesn't replicate that, and he ends up at four point five. And and you know he even gets twenty more carries because he's healthy. Uh, it you can end up with the same type of season.
0: He had a lot a lot of breakaway kind of runs last year that really helps. Yep. Our next question comes from Joel Chandler at Joel Knows Bungs. Are you worried about the new scheme being worse for Dalton? Condensed formations should help receivers get separation, but it also might make it easier for the defense to disguise coverages. That seems to be Andy's Achilles heel.
2: Yeah, this is a fair thing to bring up. Uh, Joel knows I'm high on Andy Dalton in this scheme. If, you know, everything meshes and works well together and, and if everyone can stay healthy, of course, but... He makes he brings up a good point. The condensed formations, and what I mean is the receivers are going to be more in line, closer to where a tight end would normally line up, right? And by doing so, the corners normally back off and because they're they're expecting a two-way go for the receiver and because you can run a lot of crossing routes and mix and, and, and mesh patterns between those receivers and you don't want those guys tight and in man coverage because they'll get knocked off. I'm talking about the defensive backs. And because of it, because everyone's condensed and in there tighter – The defense has the opportunity to disguise their, not only their blitzes, because I think you can walk guys around a little bit more and keep guys closer to the line of scrimmage, but those safeties can also rotate a little bit later and they don't have to get back as far or get as wide. So we know, and I would say Andy Dalton's weakness, like Joel has said, I've said it for a long time, is when the defense can switch pre-snap to post-snap and give him something he doesn't expect. Uh, I do think there's a lot of opportunities in this in this offensive scheme though that if they if the first read isn't there the second read isn't there they normally have a third guy coming from the other side of the formation to be the late check down or target uh that typically is open when jared goff got to that third read you know so he didn't have to force those first two guys when he got to that third guy there was a lot of plays and a lot of room to be had there he was usually open
0: i think that makes perfect sense to me it's said to be a qb friendly system uh, that all adds up. The third read, like you said, should be pretty easy to get to.
2: Yeah, so it just depends on who that third guy is. Uh, next question is from Sam Anger. Sam, longtime friend of the podcast. He says, hello, guys. Your thoughts on Mixon not getting in the top 100? This is the NFL's top 100 players for 2019 list. Uh, he says, I completely understand that he's not a popular vote outside of the Bengals organization, but this series is supposed to be or supposed to have some realism to it. I just feel he's he's been such a hard worker for the league to take him in.
0: I think that Mixon still suffers and probably rightly so from the incident he had at Oklahoma when he punched a woman in the face. Right. I think that he's not going to be a poster boy for the NFL because there is a bit of a history there and the NFL isn't very consistent about this. And, fans aren't very consistent about this, but I think that that doesn't play in his favor. And I think playing for the Bengals doesn't play in his favor either. That being said, I think the top 100, I was reading a few tweets about it. that kind of sporadically come up and it doesn't sound like there's a very consistent process for voting. It sounds like every team does a little differently. It sounds like they, some, some teams only vote on the top 20 guys and other teams, you know, have the offense vote for defense and defense for offense. And, So I I wouldn't take the top 100 too seriously. It's both an assessment of of player skill as assessed by their peers and a popularity contest. And Mixon, it's not too surprising to me that he doesn't have friends outside the league. That being said, last year he was a top four or five running back in the league when he was healthy because of health issues for many other running backs. So I could see a pretty easy argument for him being in the top 100.
2: Yeah, there's some Bengals bias going on there negatively. When you look at Green, where he was ranked, in, in um, and even Geno Atkins, I felt both those guys are maybe 25 spots lower than they should have been. And if you think, well, Mixon could have been in the 80s or something, then t- take 25 spots from him, and he's off the list in the top 100. But again, I do think it largely comes down to uh, there's probably a lot of players and personnel that aren't comfortable voting for him. And I know the league's not full of Saints, but at the same time, I think people are railing around the idea that you hit a woman and it's hard to come back from it. Now it's been three years or I mean, since he's been drafted, and I, I think he's he's done well and done some good things uh, just to be clean and be the, a good role model. But at the same time, it's going to stick with a lot of people for a lot longer than that.
0: I think it's a fair question, and it's a question that I don't know the answer to, and it's, is there a way for Joe Mixon to redeem himself? And And it might just be that the answer is no that he is right. a villain for the rest of his life. But I, I personally don't know the answer to that question. The other part of this that I wanted to quickly touch on is just looking at PFFs grades for running backs. Uh, if, if Joe Mixon is a top 100 player in the NFL, well now you have to include Chris Carson, for example, who had a very similar season rushing the ball was, was graded better than Mixon overall and, um, it starts to get pretty murky at the running back position because there are a lot of guys that are very productive.
2: Yeah, and he didn't make the Pro Bowl last year, I think, for the same reasons we probably brought up in this um, question here.
0: Yeah, I think a lot goes into it. Our next question comes from Queen City fan at Queen City fan on Twitter with a one where the I should be. How will the Bengals split time between tight ends? Hashtag
2: Skyline Chili. Uh, Nice hashtag. Maybe we can get a sponsorship there. But. Uh, listen to yesterday's podcast where we had John Sheeran of Cincy Jungle on. He laid it out pretty well. And what I think was going to happen anyways, or at least so far, and it sounds like CG Ozama is the number one in, in terms of maybe snap count. And I think it's because of his versatility. He can be the a move guy. He can be a wide tight end. He can play the H back role. Whereas they want to keep Eifert on a pitch count. I do. I definitely think Eifert will play. And if AJ Green's not there the first few weeks, I think he'll. That's when you know he'll get he'll get the bulk of his snaps. And then Drew Sample is obviously a rookie, and we know tight ends take a while to to jump into it full time. Uh, I think he will play. I just think he's probably getting the, the third most snaps maybe to start the year, and maybe by the end of the year he's getting much more because. Chances are Eifert's not there or not healthy, and and uh, I think upside wise, Sample's got maybe Uzama beat.
0: Yeah, I think I've come around a little bit on Drew Sample's upside in particular, especially because he's so refined as a blocker already. We'll have to see over the next few open practices tomorrow and Saturday, or Friday and Saturday, depending on when you're listening, how Drew Sample does with pads on because he's a, he's the kind of guy that might look better with pads on the more experience he gets that being said the offense has been pretty rough so far so we'll have to kind of see how that plays out
2: yeah and I can see him holding Eifert out of that practice uh because you know you don't you don't want to hit him too much and then Sample will get a chance to show what he can do
0: it sounds like they have had Eifert on a bit of a snap count in, in the padded practices so far the next question we're going to take comes from Brandon Kuhn at Crandon Boone on Twitter if Joe likes Canadian coffee, does he like Canadian beer? And this is a callback to Joe leaving his coffee on his fence yesterday for an hour right. and a maple leaf being on the coffee cup. Did you get it from Tim Hortons?
2: Yeah, of course. Tim Hortons is all over around here, so uh, it's the best coffee. It's the only place I get coffee when I'm out. But, yeah, so there's a Can- Canadian flag on it. It's, it's a Canadian-style company. But, yeah, I do drink. If I'll, I'll drink Canadian beer, Molson or Labette. Those are staples in this area also. There's a thing...
0: Amongst my peers here in Canada, the the people my age that I hang out with, my friends, you might say, uh, they really seem to think Canadian beer is better than American beer, and I'm talking about the craft beer. I think the craft beer is craft beer everywhere, and it's all the same, but uh, I'm not a beer snob, so I guess I'm not the authority on the matter.
2: No, me either. It's just, uh, you know, I'll take whatever's there sometimes. (laughs) There you go. Next question from Kyle Beverly at TRub79. Do you think the injury to A.J. Green hurts or helps the Bengals resigning him? I fear it will lead to the Bengals to offer something incentive-based and possibly create an Andrew Whitworth-like situation. I think this is incredibly hard for the Bengals to navigate
0: because I don't even know how I would navigate it. And usually I feel like if this was Madden and how I was doing my franchise, I would have a pretty good idea of what I would do. But AJ Green's now had injuries the last few years, and he's had a lot of lower leg injuries. That being said, in in the bit we saw from him, he looked every bit that AJ Green were used to before he got hurt in that training camp practice. And I know Mm -hmm. he's in shorts, and I know it's hard to tell, but he looked explosive. He looked, like I said, he looked great. He looked 100%. So I would probably go into it similarly. But I think what makes it even murkier is that Michael Thomas just signed a $20 million a year deal for the Saints. And I don't want to touch that number for A.J. Green's third contract.
2: Yeah. I've he, The Whitworth part that Kyle puts there at the end is what scares me. Because, um, yeah, you don't want that to happen. The, you don't want to say, well, A.J. Green can't stay healthy. He might be a little bit older. That inconsistency in terms of health. We're going to let him walk. And then he goes and dominates somewhere else because he could. And he— it would be the Cincinnati thing for that to happen. It would be very unsurprising. Right. So you want to extend him. But does that mean you take full risk when you're doing this? No, because he has had the injuries he's had, and you've drafted receivers to kind of replace him. And the third contract, and the age, all the factors, all the reasons why we are weary of signing him to begin with. I would let it play out at this point. If it was me and we're playing Madden and i got to figure it out, I'd let it play out. And if i got to franchise him at the end of the year for – 15, 18 million dollars for that one year, that's what I'll do. And if he stays healthy for the remainder of this year and the following year or into the next offseason and he wants to extend and sign that contract, then uh, we do it. And we try and get him for two or three more years from there. I think
0: it just gets so complicated with the Michael Thomas contract because you know the next couple contracts that come down for like Julio or whatever. If Julio goes out there and makes 21 million a year, AJ's going to want the exact same thing. And are you prepared to pay a 31-year-old, often-injured receiver that number, that much of your salary cap? I mean, maybe if you're going to draft Tua next year, maybe then it works. Sure. That's the only way.
2: Yeah, I'd try and be safe about it and smart, because I'd still want A.J. Green and good A.J. Green on this team and on this roster, and I want to win with him. Uh, But at the same time, if you sign him and he is Demarius Thomas and this is just it for the end of his career, uh, you will hamstring your cap harder than you ever wanted to. I don't think that that's the case for AJ
0: Green. And I don't think you do either. Like I said, I think he looked good in training camp. I think he knows how to rehab and come back. I think he's still got a lot of athleticism in the tank. Very fair. So the next couple questions are a combo that I think is interesting. There's two ways you can see this. So the first question comes from Jackson at Jay Matavia. I think this is your first question in the mailbag. Welcome to the show. Thoughts on the news about Geo's agent being in Cincinnati. Felt like they were starting to look past him after the draft. They drafted two running backs. Would you be hesitant in giving Gio a third contract? Always thought he was underutilized in Cincinnati. The other question is from Greg Johnson. I think also knew. At got your last two times, or two X, with the drafting of Travion Williams or Ronnie Anderson, could you see the Bengals letting Gio walk in free agency next year? So when I saw these two questions, I got to thinking, maybe his agent's in town to try to swing a trade.
2: Right. That's exactly where my mind started going on that. It's uh, so How would you answer it? What's more likely, that he's being traded this offseason or that he's being extended and giving a third contract?
0: Definitely traded. Right. The Bengals giving a running back who's already one of the few running backs in the league that's paid more than $4 million, a third contract, when they have Joe Mixon coming up for a de- hot, what will be a hotly debated extension, it yep. uh, doesn't seem very like them. And reports from a few eyewitnesses at training camps that Rodney Anderson looks spry, that he looks agile, and he's coming off an ACL. And if he's looking good, well, Travion Williams is getting a lot of reps in, in padded practice there a couple days ago, or yesterday, I guess I should say. A lot of looks catching the ball. You could see it if, if they feel good about those two.
2: Yeah, and think about how the Rams value their backup running backs, right? With Gurley recently. It... It was nothing until Gurley went down. They're like, oh, let me get a veteran here with CJ Anderson uh, because they needed to. And the other guys were just mid round rookies and young guys that you wouldn't know Jake from Joe. So I do think there is, and you got to think how often they used Gio last year, the least amount in his career. There's a chance that they're like, all right, well, we'll trade him and see what we can get out there. And, and, um, especially like Ezekiel Elliott holdout. I thought before they signed Alfred Morris, maybe the Cowboys can flip you a mid-round pick and it'd be worth it. And uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. But I do think there is opportunity here for not only a trade, but to let him go in the off because Anderson, Rodney Anderson, their their sixth rounder is a highly touted prospect when healthy. And it, if it seems like he's already getting to that point, he's already on the rehab field with those other guys he may be healthy some point this preseason. That changes the outlook. And Travion Williams, if he's ready to go and knows the system and can play right away because he's coming from Jim Jim Turner's running game, uh, you aren't worried about him being a rookie.
0: Yeah.
2: It'll be very interesting to see what happens in that running back room. Keeping all four of
0: those guys, unless Rodney Anderson's on the PUP, uh, I mean, maybe. I, but like you said, the Rams didn't use him. And they just went out and signed – was, who was it? What's his name? Who? The the running back who took over for Gurley. Oh, C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson, out of nowhere, goes and revives his career. Yeah. If Zach Taylor has the same extension. mindset.
2: Right. And I got the next one here from Jim McCracken. I actually hope Jim McCracken is his real name. But he goes by at ObiWolan8 on Twitter. He says, why do you guys talk down the off-the-ball linebacker position in the NFL? It seems like with the new rules leaving the middle of the field open, isn't having a rangy linebacker or two on that second line of defense important for controlling tight ends, slot receivers, and running backs out of the backfield? I think that it is important to
0: have guys that can do the job. I think if you look around the league, that position might actually be getting slightly increased importance. You look at what Bobby Wagner and C.J. Mosley got paid. Yeah. Maybe we are a little bit antiquated in our opinions of this position. However, I would say that it's a little bit easier to hide deficiencies there with scheme. It's a little bit easier to find guys that can fit in there without spending a premium pick. I'm talking even first round pick. You can get by with second, third round guys. A lot of teams do. The Bengals haven't had a ton of success there. Although all the linebackers on the Bengals are third round picks or later.
2: So maybe they haven't valued it, right?
0: So, so maybe that's why we don't, is because for a very long time, they were a good defense without
2: spending capital on the linebacker position. I actually think I value it. But I, maybe it comes off of that I don't because – and I think I would have been happy with Bush and White at, at the 11th pick. So I, I I wasn't afraid to pull the trigger on a, on a linebacker with that spot. But here's the thing. You only play two of them, two linebackers for most of the game, a large, vast majority of the game – a lot. You could have two other guys that are like specialty type. You could have one guy that's just a rundown defender and plays thirty percent of the snaps, and then you have a, a nickel linebacker come in, and really you'll just have one guy who's out there for ninety percent of the time. A lot of teams are like that. A lot of teams are putting a safety at that position. It went from teams that play with three or four linebackers in some four four uh, linebacker schemes to really it's down to two for everyone. Three and three and, and three four and four three type defenses are now down to two linebackers. So it's not. The, that um, I devalue it. It's that it has less value because they're not. You're, you know, you're not. You don't need to have that third guy out there. That third linebacker is really the same importance as a nose tackle, which I don't really care for either. Until they're on the field and I need them. Uh, point being is, uh, they're not getting paid a lot. They're not being drafted very highly unless you can rush the passer or unless you're a supreme athlete. And those guys I value.
0: Yeah, if you're talking about Leighton Vander Esch. Luke Keekley, Devin White, Devin Bush, those types of prospects that yep. have the ability to do it all, the Bobby Wagners of the league, they had something that is rare, and there's only a few of them in the league. I think we did a little bit dismiss, like, do we really want to take an off-ball li- When we were talking about the draft, do we really want to take an off-ball linebacker at number 11? That was a question that we, we
2: asked our, ourselves quite a bit. Because of the second-tier guys we were into. You know, so if you think uh, yeah. you can get those guys at 42, that was the debate. Now it ended up being a huge. Once we got closer to the draft and we knew that big gap was there at linebacker and it wasn't going to be to round three, remember we said this. We said, if you don't get one at 11, you got to wait to round three. Right, at least. Uh, we got way more comfortable with drafting those guys at 11.
0: And Devin White tested extremely well. He jumped yep. up from a guy we thought was a second Bush. round possibility. Yeah, sorry, Bush jumped up from a guy we thought was a second round possibility to the 10th overall pick right our last question today comes from oscar Mordenfalt at Mordenfalt on twitter and i apologize if i have pronounced your name wrong there's two dots over two of the letters first of all a lot of love to you guys for your excellent work and never missed a single episode thanks oscar now with green's extension talk potentially on hold who do you think will be the next bengal to get an extension Side note, it would be awesome to get your 53-man roster predict, prediction before the first preseason game, and we can do that. We can we can yeah. spend an episode doing that next week.
2: Yeah, we'll do one before the preseason and before actual cutdowns, right? Right. That would make sense. Okay, so we'll do that. Um, next in line for an extension, it, they already picked up the fifth-year option for William Jackson. I would say he's the bit, next big star that they probably want to sign. Typically, the Bengals will wait till the, the next year, wait till he's in that fifth year or, or just before it. I think the next in line, and talking about linebackers, could be Nick Vigil because he's cheap, because I think they like him, That they like him in a lot of ways, and I think he's going to be the guy that's out there playing 95% of the snaps when healthy. The problem is he hasn't been able to stay healthy, so what kind of deal would that be? I don't think it'd be too expensive or too extravagant, and I, I think they'd want to keep him if, if Luan Arumau already feels comfortable with him the way he, it sounds like he does based on reports with uh, them deferring to Vigil at times to help the players and correct them on, on issues and mistakes. Another note, similar,
0: unrelated to the question, I don't think we've talked about it either, is Jermaine Pratt wearing the helmet, the communications helmet with the second team and calling the defense. Just an interesting note that that made That's me think right. of. Um, players that are in line for extension, Vigil is certainly a good candidate. I think that players that could play their way into one in the preseason could be, if they want to try to buy low on Christian Westerman, if they have a lot sure. of faith in him, we'll see what happens there. Andrew Billings is another one. He's a, he's an unrestricted free agent after this season who was very good last year. Looking at the yep. rest of the list, I don't know. I don't really see anybody. Unless, you know, they want to keep Cody Core around as a special teams guy. I don't really see that being a priority.
2: Not after paying Erickson to yeah. pretty much, you know, you can, that'd be a lot of money to spend on the receiver position. I think Cody Core has to solidify his roster spot first. So I think... It's not out of the realm, though, because remember, they've extended before, like Ryan Hewitt and Alex Erickson late in in camps, like, oh, we love this guy in special teams, even though he's a role guy on offense.
0: And and neither of those so far have necessarily been worth the money. Erickson, arguably, Hewitt was
2: released. Yeah, they're not worth the money. You find those guys off the street every year. That's right.
0: That is going to wrap up the mailbag this week. Joe and I, I believe, are going to try to produce some content for you throughout the weekend. The Bengals have padded practices open to the public on Friday and Saturday. So we'll see what we get out to you this weekend. Keep an eye out on Twitter, on your iTunes, and we'll get it to you or your Spotify or your Google Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a
1: good one.